0: This is WCNY's Capitol Press Room, and we're turning our attention to a section of state law governing the suppression of evidence in a criminal case with a guilty plea, which is the subject of legislation approved earlier this year by state lawmakers. For more on the issue, we're joined by Kevin Stadelmeyer, an attorney who is the first deputy defender for Erie County's Assigned Counsel Programs Criminal Division and is the legislative committee chair for the New York State Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks, David. So the legislation we're talking about is tied to cases with guilty pleas where a defendant essentially waves away specific rights they have. Can you explain what's happening now as it pertains to, I guess, accessing certain evidence in these cases?
1: So the, the bill that we're talking about here, David, deals with what really one limited issue, and that's a review of suppression issues following a guilty plea where the district attorney mandates that in exchange for that guilty plea, uh, the defendant signs a waiver uh, of most of their appellate rights. Now, there are some appellate rights that can never be waived, but one of them that absolutely can be waived is the right to review the findings of a suppression hearing. So if you go to a suppression hearing and the suppression hearing doesn't go your way, even if there are legitimate issues involved in the suppression hearing, and then ultimately you decide you're going to plead guilty either because you know the evidence against you is all coming in or the district attorney comes around with a better offer, they're going to mandate that you waive the right to have that reviewed by a higher court in exchange for that guilty plea.
0: And just to interject for a second, a suppression hearing can be about what, the admissibility of certain evidence?
1: So yes, it can be a lot about a lot of different things. so the admissibility of physical evidence, statements, um, identifications by witnesses. it could be anything to do with with the things that are coming in against you at trial. Uh, there's there's multiple levels of suppression hearings, multiple different kinds of suppression hearings that you can that you can have. But ultimately if you decide to plead guilty, the current state of the law is you give up the right to have a, a higher appellate court review anything that may have happened during that suppression hearing uh, which could have been unlawful after you plead guilty.
0: And what's the rationale for a prosecutor to want a defendant to waive their right to appeal some of these suppression hearings? Is it simply to close off any potential loose ends involved with the case?
1: There's multiple potential motivations that a prosecutor would have. First of all, they love finality. So, you know, once they've secured a guilty plea, you've admitted on the record that you committed the offense that they've asked you to plead guilty to. You've admitted your criminal conduct. Uh, a sentence is imposed by the judge and they want the case to be over at that point. Um, They don't want to have to go back and, and, you know, have to rehash anything that happened in that case. Again, for a variety of reasons, again, it might just be finality, but it also could be to shield any potential police misconduct that that would have happened in the case, any potential errors, whether they were harmless or not that might've occurred during the pendency of that case, including, you know, after the crime is committed evidence, uh, collection uh, methods and things of that nature. Uh, and certainly anything that happens at the suppression hearing, they don't want to have that looked at. They want to be able to give their victims closure. They also don't want to have to burden their appeals unit with having to respond to a filing um, that they felt was was not in order, considering that you waived all of your rights following the plea. You know, certainly that's, that's not the way we see it, and, and it's certainly not what the legislator intended when they initially put in effect CPL 47015 and 71070, which governs the right to somebody having an appeal after they're convicted of a crime.
0: And has it been your experience that prosecutors will often offer plea deals that are contingent on waiving the right to appeal some of these rulings in the future? It's
1: it's not all it's not often. It's it's universal. Anytime you take a plea in New York State, any virtually any plea whatsoever, you are waiving your right to appeal. The prosecutors demand it on the record, even on lower level cases, even on pleading to violations or misdemeanors, they're going to ask you on the record to waive your right to appeal. And certainly on any felony plea, um, you're going to sign a piece of paper, whether it's post-indictment or pre-indictment, that you are waiving your rights to to appeal most issues in that case. And suppression is always included in in that waiver, which means that if you want to litigate the suppression issue following, you're going to have to first try to get around the waiver before you can even get to the issue of suppression, even if there are legitimate issues to to litigate at the higher appellate levels.
0: And has it been your experience that the issue isn't even broached anymore, or do defense attorneys try to negotiate with prosecutors on this issue and they just simply won't budge?
1: we've often tried. I mean, so in the instance you're talking about, let's say a suppression hearing was run. This is just a hypothetical situation. A suppression hearing is run. You lose the suppression e- ish, uh, hearing, but you you know that there are legitimate suppression issues and your client later decides to take that plea. Sometimes you're able to negotiate with the DA, listen, let's carve this one out. Let us litigate uh, the suppression issue at the higher level. You, you can see potentially that there are issues here. I can tell you that those conversations are largely fruitless. Um, District attorneys will simply say, hey, listen, the client doesn't want the benefit of this plea. We'll simply have a trial. You lost the suppression hearing. The cards are really in our favor at this point. All the evidence that you wanted out is coming in. So whether you think you have legitimate issues, that's really not our problem at this point. We're we're giving you this offer. Take it or leave it. If you don't want to take it, fine, trial. If you do want to take it, you're going to waive your right to, to appeal most issues, including what happened at the suppression hearing.
0: Well, then let's fast forward to a universe where these waivers are not allowed, which is the subject of uh, legislation approved by lawmakers earlier this year. What do you envision being the outcome as a result of that? Would it simply be less plea deals are being accepted or offered or that we're going to have a lot more cases overturned on appeal? What's the future look like?
1: So I don't think it's going to look a whole lot different than it is right now. First of all, you're not going to have less pleas in all likelihood because you're still talking about everything that happens now happening in the future. You'll run suppression hearings on on those various issues, statements, physical evidence, whatever, and you'll lose. You're still looking at a trial with the evidence that is being allowed in the suppression hearing coming in against you. So clients are still likely going to take pleas in those situations, but they're just going to have the right to have those things reviewed by a higher court. I mean, and like I said, the the biggest argument that prosecutors often have to this particular statute being enacted into law is that the floodgates are going to open and we're going to see thousands more appeals, many of them lacking merit, uh, hit the appellate courts, which is going to res- result in district attorney's offices across the state having to dedicate substantial resources to to defend these cases and, and to write these appeals. Well, the bottom line is is that right now these cases are still being appealed, and actually, there's more litigation now than there would be in the future because. You know, appellate counsel will see suppression issues, but before they can even get to them, they've got to litigate whether or not the appeal waiver was knowing and voluntary and, and done with all the things that are required under the under this criminal procedure law. So they're still filing these appeals. They're just required to litigate the waiver first, often unsuccessful, but it's still requiring the district attorneys to respond to this. So all we'll really see is, is just a, a higher level of fairness and, and an appellate review that, that really was something that the legislature wanted when they enacted the appeals law. So I, I don't foresee that we're going to see any less guilty pleas, but I, and, and, and as to your question as to whether we'll see more cases get overturned, I think yes, just by. The number of cases that will now be eligible for review by by appellate uh, courts because they don't have to get around the waiver anymore. I think you will just as a consequence of the of the larger number of cases that can be reviewed, you probably will see more cases overturned and rightfully so. Um, you know, appellate courts are going to take a look at some of these cases. And, and we've got plenty of other cases in the past where appellate courts have said, yeah, I see suppression issues here. And yeah, we probably vote to, su- to suppress the evidence that the trial court refused to do. But because we have a knowing and voluntary waiver, we can't even get to that point. And there are several uh, cases that are, are exactly on point with those set of facts where the appellate court would have suppressed if not for the valid knowing and voluntary waiver of the right.
0: As the. Validity or constitutionality of the waiver system been tested either in the state court system or the federal court system.
1: Yes, both. I mean, voluminous litigation over many many years um, regarding regarding waivers, even bringing into again the, the legislative intent of of the appeal process and you know the due process rights of the client, um, and, and really those cases have largely just fallen on the side of. If your client knows what he's getting into, he or she is getting into, if the appeal waiver is knowing involuntary, then your client was, was you know, given the due process that's required under the law, and those issues are waived for all time. So the only way you really get into the, the substantive uh, problems with with anything that happens during those those pretrial hearings is if the client was not fully on board, you know, with the waiver, or if there was some sort of procedural error done when, when the waiver was being being done. So we've really been foreclosed if not for those two things happening from from litigating these issues you know again some of them
0: having you know merit. And you talked about how under the current system the appeals process needs to litigate the validity of these waivers before you can even consider i guess a second look at these suppression motions Is it your understanding that there are a lot of appeals that are coming forward right now, even in cases where a waiver has been signed? I mean, because you indicated that waivers are the norm. So are almost all of these appeals addressing a suppression issue, first having to go through this hurdle of uh, tackling the waiver?
1: Where we have a suppression hearing that appellate counsel finds, um, you know, had merit in terms of overturning it, and there is a waiver, then there absolutely is litigation about the waiver. Appellate counsel is not simply going to ignore, you know, an error of law or a suppression issue that was unfairly litigated at the trial court simply because there was a waiver. So what they will do immediately is say that the waiver was invalid, and then that that has to be litigated before you even get to the idea uh, of the suppression issue coming forward and being reviewed. But so it does happen. It's, it's routine.
0: At the same time, thinking about the other side of this coin, is there a trade-off that could be made in terms of the case where someone agrees to a guilty plea, they're agreeing to waive their rights, say, in a suppression matter, and they've clearly committed the crime, and they should probably be Punished in some way, shape, or form, should some avenues be closed for them? Are there mechanisms that can be put in place, or do we need to paint with a real broad brush and ensure that these people as well don't have access to a waiver?
1: So, so I think you know when you started getting into the idea of you know clearly committed the crime, and you know is there a way to foreclose these rights? I think you know it's it's a difficult it's a difficult calculus to make, especially when you take a look at the disparities in prosecution of minority populations if you take a look at you know the nypd stop and frisk policies that were you know very ubiquitous throughout the, the 80s 90s and into the 2000s where you know 55 percent of the people that were subject to those stop and frisks were, were black and another 34 percent were latinx um you're talking about you know a system where you know the the denial of review of suppression ultimately resulted in a lot of people being incarcerated that probably You know, we're incarcerated needlessly. So, you know, really the trade off here is it's it's sort of, again, a, a non-existent, difficult calculus to make. And I think, you know, we can never proceed from from the standpoint of, well, this person clearly committed this offense. And yes, it's obvious that they committed the crime. And yes, they absolutely need to be punished. I think we really need to take a look at, you know, what the Constitution says about suppression you know, the, the idea that you know po- police misconduct has resulted in, in you know a good deal of false convictions and then over incarceration or, or needless incarceration. And the whole reason why we're trying to enact this bill is to sort of bring a little bit more fairness back in and give credence to the legislative intent, again, in 470-15 and 70 10 that, you know, an appellate court should be undertaking a substantive you know, review of the things that happened inside the trial court to ensure that there was no misconduct um, and, and, and certainly give the public uh, peace of mind that, you know, if there were errors and there were things that resulted in a false conviction, that those things are going to be rectified at the higher level.
0: Well, in addition to ensuring that people who agreed to a guilty plea who weren't actually guilty, it seems like this waiver, if it is going the way of the dodo would create opportunities for people who are guilty to have their convictions or their pleas overturned uh, because of potential misconduct in, say, the collection of evidence, for example, right? So it's likely, or if not likely, possible that people who did commit crimes will benefit from this as well, right?
1: Well, I mean, certainly. I mean, the biggest complaint that a lot of people have about the criminal legal system is that, you know, you have quote-unquote, criminals getting off on, quote-unquote, technicalities. But the bottom line is, is that we have a constitution at the federal and state level for a reason. We have, you know, very specific and very strong provisions against unlawful search and seizure for, for very good, you know, and hi- historically, you know, accurate reasons. So, you know, the idea that, well, somebody committed this offense, so they should automatically go to jail, well, if there was a constitutional violation that resulted in the evidence that that was used against them being collected unlawfully, you, you can't just say, well, you know, the ends justify the means here. We, we have these constitutional per- protections for a reason, they're for the protection of all society, and if we're simply gonna ignore them for some and, and put them in place for others, you know, that lacks equal protection, and then that's a big problem. So, you know, we have, to, we have to have these laws administered even-handedly, they have to be subject to constitutional scrutiny, and, and that's the whole reason for having a higher court look at these cases.
0: Well, we've been speaking with Kevin Stadelmeyer. He's an attorney who is the first deputy defender for Erie County's Assigned Counsel Programs Criminal Division and the Legislative Committee Chair for the New York State Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Kevin, thank you so much for making the time.
1: Thanks, David. Anytime.